Hello, everyone. Welcome to You, Me, Us, a well-being podcast. Today is Well-Being Wednesday here at Consumers Energy. If you joined us last week, you'll recall that Dr. Jesse talked about the pillar of physical well-being. My guest today is Monique Wells. She is a senior business support consultant for diversity, equity, and inclusion. Uh, And the reason we brought Monique on is because, as everyone knows, over the last few weeks, there's been a a lot of things going on in our country and in our cities and in our state around race and racism and implicit bias. And one of the things that we could do to help take care of ourselves and our coworkers is to start the conversation. And that's really difficult for some people. So I really wanted, uh, Monique, first of all, for you to introduce yourself. uh, And then let's talk about how do we start that conversation. Wonderful, Bill. Thank you. Thank you for the opportunity to um, join you on the podcast. Um, Just a little brief um, bio for me. Um, I've been with the company since uh, late 2011, um, I've held uh, several roles, but the uh, the capacity that I work in right now is um, as a strategic business support consultant for the diversity, equity, and inclusion um, work that we do at our company. Um, I actually um, sit with the inclusion and strategic sourcing group and people in culture. Um, proud to support both Angela Tompkins and Kathy Hendrian. To to go on to kind of uh, you know what you were uh, speaking about before with the purpose of the podcast, I think the most important thing you said is you know how do we care for ourselves during this time? How do we start there? And then how does our care for ourselves help us lean into how to help and support others through uh, difficult conversations? The first thing I would say is uh, to Um, not underestimate the power of checking in with yourself first. (laughs) And so to just jump right into the conversation, um, it's a very important place for us to be. um, And and that's having the ability to assess where we are, to understand our comfort level uh, with difficult topics right now, uh, race and racism, um, I'm sure it will be kind of at the top of the most difficult things that we'll talk about as coworkers, even as, you know, um, family members and, and within our personal um, and professional lives. But um, checking in with ourselves to understand where we are, asking ourselves very difficult questions um, so that we can understand what are the sensitivities that we hold for some of the discussions that we seek to have with others. And so um, if I can say anything, I think that is the first place that we start because it allows us to assess who we are and kind of why we we feel the way that we do and then get comfortable and confident in being where we are and understanding why um, before we engage in conversations with our coworkers and so forth. So Monique, I hear this term a lot, implicit bias. And when you say checking in with myself, for me personally, that's kind of where I go because as we as we have talked in the past, implicit bias isn't necessarily good or bad. It's just part of our makeup and who we are. So is that would that be a good place to look as we're checking in with ourselves? Right. Um, that's exactly right, Bill. I think that the role that unconscious, implicit, explicit bias, or just bias in general, <laughs> bias can be very deeply rooted. Um, you can have confirmation bias. You can have all sorts of bias. But the thing that I, I really like about starting there um, is because it's global. 
And there are biases that we have that range the a broad spectrum from who it is that we would rather go and play golf with to who it is we would rather uh, sit next to in a, a crowded concert. Um, there, there are things that come with familiarity that what might produce itself subconsciously as a bias. And what I mean by that is if you're raised in a certain area, used to and accustomed to certain ways of life and living, that creates a bias for you that colors the way that you see other scenarios that you might find yourself in. And so I think that's an important point, Bill, because our DEI strategy starts with a very fundamental understanding of bias, um, because there are many different types of bias. Um, and our ability to understand which ones we hold and, and be okay with that the fact that we have them, but then be proactive in understanding how do I inform myself differently such that my bias has a broader spectrum of, of, of knowledge um, and insight so that I can see things not only through the lens of what I've been accustomed to, but um, maybe through the lens in the eyes of others. Uh, it's a very good place to start because if you think about how you start to chip away at infrastructural racism, institutional racism, very deep-seated, um, uh, etched-in processes and standards that promote continued racism, they all start with bias. And so if we can level set our, our ourselves as co-workers, our company, and a very uh, rooted understanding of how bias impacts everything we do from the way we work to who we work with, um, then we can start to have discussions around what our biases are. And if you ever want to get to an anti-racist discussion, and if you ever want to get to how do we root out systemic uh, uh, oppression, um, it has to start with where we are with, with regard to bias. I think it's a very powerful place to be. And if we could talk about that openly and freely within our company, I think we're that much closer to really getting to the root of systemic issues. So personally, I struggle with my blind spots, right? I'm very good at picking out other people's biases. Mm -hmm. I could do that all day long, right? Yeah. But where I struggle is that blind spot bias, looking at my own. And, you know, through my work in diversity, equity, and inclusion, I've really been able to do a lot of self-reflection. So that, I think that'll be important for people to understand. And and so I, so as we're doing that self-reflection, I don't think that stops us from starting to have the conversation. So where do we go from there? How do we start that conversation? What, you know, what do we do next? So after um, you understand where you are, and we are all growing, right? This is dynamic, right? This is not yes. a static process. Um, so as we, like you said, are understanding where we are and we ask ourselves the difficult question, the next thing becomes, do we need an opportunity to practice talking about that with others? At that point, are we comfortable with listening to others as we listen to the biases that they have uncovered? or things that they haven't experienced. Because one part of knowing where you are is to know where you're not, right? <laughs> and right. to know what you're comfortable with and what you can um, uh, actively sit and, and listen to as other people express themselves. So, uh, you know, it's a, it's a weird word to say, but to practice this is the next step. Safety, 
you, you, you know, a place of safety, a place where you have someone that can um, can lean into you very honestly and, and, you know, say how what you said fell on their ears and how you feel impacts them. And then after you do that, I'm not saying that that's going to give you complete comfort with, with even listening to or facilitating a discussion about or even talking about your own experiences. But the next step would then be to develop a comfort level in discomfort where you're able to either talk or listen to, actively listen to uh, the thoughts, feelings, views uh, of others. And from there, you can move towards being a more active listener, a very engaged facilitator, um, one that we talk about Socratic questionings with CE Way all the time, but understand how to ask questions that help people to resolve or to speak or to talk and efforts to that, you know, you uh, display that they are being listened to. And after that, it's how do you continue the dialogue? So then you take that dialogue and you focus it towards the most obvious systemic root um, of what it is that you're talking about. And that also requires dialogue and discussion, um, but it also brings into it uh, analytical and, 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 and logic-based reasoning, <laughs> because <laughs> then you can come in and you can actually start to say, you know, now we see this big brick wall, but we see these cracks in it and let's, you know, take a hammer to it incrementally to tear it down. Um, so that's, it's a broad spectrum, but it all starts by talking, by understanding how to listen and how to remove maybe some of the very deep emotional connections that you have with some of the areas of bias so that we can get to a point where we can openly, there will be discomfort, but openly find comfort in the discomfort so at least the dialogue continues. I find this now uh, during the discussion that we're having this time around. I say this time around because I look at back at 22 years ago when uh, Rodney King was beaten by the police officers from the Los the LAPD, and uh, then I see what happens in Minneapolis, and I wonder what have we learned in 22 years? Like, what's changed? I can honestly say I think the thing that I see that has changed is that I see leaders of companies. Uh, Patty Poppy, the leader of our company, stepping up and saying, I'm not going to stand in the gap and say, I'm not a racist. I'm going to stand in the gap and say, I'm anti-racist and here are the actions that I'm going to take. I think that really speaks to, to what you're saying. And on a, a kind of on a micro level, um, I watched a TED talk the other day and the, the person that was talking said, you know, they sat around the table at a holiday and listened to people talk and realized that a lot of what we're talking about right now happens right at the table. And, yeah. and you know, we find out that Uncle Lou is a racist and Aunt Mary is kind of a bigot. And um, maybe we all always knew that. But the problem is there are children at the table hearing hearing that. And and I think that not, not to cause fights at Thanksgiving because that happens naturally. But that, right. that may be a good place to start those conversations, too, is within our own homes and with our own families. What do you think about that? You know what? I think that whether we're talking about racism or whether we're talking about uh, modes of learning that will increase students' comprehension, whether we're talking about how to encourage financial literacy at an early age, you can, I don't care what the subject is. You can you can trace it all back to what 
what was the discussion in the safe spaces uh, in your life? You will typically find those to be safe spaces of discussion in your home, whether it's at the dinner table, whether it's at a, you know, a family reunion or a picnic, or is it just, you know, talk at bedtime or what you talk about during the course of the day. Those are the ways that we get concepts ingrained in us. And even in education, they'll tell you if you want your children to be readers, make your environment uh, an atmosphere that loves and drips for reading. And so people put books in their uh, cabinets and they spread them all around and the kids have books in their room. And it is a foregone conclusion that that those children will grow up with at least a love not for having books around but actually seeing people crack them open and reading together and it's the same thing with with this if we want to create uh, uh atmospheres where our children are raised in environments that are anti-racist that talk about difficult things that get get even at children's age comfortable with talking about different things it all happens in in that space um, and so the encouragement would be is if we really want to make change, it starts with what we discuss in those spaces, what we bring back home, um, what ultimately becomes the conversations that we have, um, you know, in the, at the dinner table and, and understanding that those are formative conversations. They're shaping um, not only kids, but they're shaping uh, the whole household. So it's powerful um, and we are going to mimic in our company, Bill, what that looks like. Our organizations are going to sit around their tables. We work with, we work 40 plus hours a week we spend with our coworkers and the conversations we have within our meetings and so forth. They are prime opportunity to, if you can get safe in that little ecosystem and it becomes a, a safe space for talking and having that dialogue, just imagine what that can mean if that starts to perpetuate, perpetuate itself around our whole company. So I think the concept is a powerful one and I think it's one that we can leverage for this. Well, in, if you think about it, uh, in the time that I've been at Consumers, Consumers is an extension of my family. Oh, it really is. So, and there are safe spaces within that family where we can have those conversations. Um, we are kind of getting close to that point where we have to wrap up. So, I just want to make sure that we're uh, that the the point is made. It's it's about looking at ourselves and discovering who we are. It's about having that conversation. Um, but it can't just be a conversation. There has to be actions that come out of those conversations if we're really looking for change. Um, so before I close, uh, Monique, is there anything else you'd like to share uh, with the with the audience? Um, I would. First, thanks, Bill, for having me. I always enjoy talking with you. You know that we could talk for hours. But the thing that I would leave everyone with is, you know, there's a there's a big spectrum of of work that has to be done, but it starts at a very fundamental level. And that level is how do we prepare ourselves to have discussion and ongoing dialogue about what's happening to us right now and then what's happening to us in the future because it informs not only how we think about uh, issues that will impact us, um, whether it was COVID, whether it was, um, you know, the, the disastrous effects of uh, the dam um, on uh, mid-Michigan. Those are powerful places to start the discussion, but specifically with race and racism, um, these discussions ultimately lead to a dialogue. That dialogue ultimately leads to the why. 
Why does this matter? The stories that people share. It shows you that there are people connected and close to you that have had these experiences. But what you do with that will then become the thing that's the legacy. If we take that and then turn that into an understanding of how bias is rooted itself within the, 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 the organizational structure of, of our company, and then we actively and proactively start chipping away at those now we're making a, the future a brighter place for the people that will come behind us. So I'm hopeful. I'm very optimistic um, and I'm ready to dig into the work. And I thank you for for giving us the space and the place today, Bill, to talk about uh, this with our coworkers. Thank you so much, Monique, for bringing your perspective to this very important discussion. And thank you to the audience for listening in. We hope that you find it helpful in your daily life. Please join us next week when we will have Glenn Stutsky and Tina Thompson here from Michigan State University to talk about PTSD as June 27th is PTSD Awareness Day.